Hello, my lovely ones, and welcome to Mumming with Magli, the podcast for any mum who has absolutely no idea what the fuck she's doing. I'm Magli, your host, and I can confirm I have no idea what I'm doing. Join me every week as I try and tackle this parenting business, the ups and downs, and the many trials and tribulations. Other moms will also join us and share their story. Let's open up the conversation around the hardships of motherhood and all the pressure that comes with it. Hopefully, it'll make us all feel less alone in feeling lost and completely winging it. I know I am. Enjoy, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Welcome onto the podcast, Emma. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. So you've come on here to talk to us today about nutrition with children. Oh my goodness, what a minefield. What made you want to go into this field? Um, so I used to work as an event manager for years, for about 10 years. And then I got gradually got more and more into nutrition. I did reflexology. I did loads of different things. And I just decided that with event management, I did love it in my 20s, but it was very full on. And I thought if I ever wanted children, it just wouldn't work. So I decided to go back to uni again and retrain at 30 and become a dietitian. So yeah, that's how I got into it. And I've worked in adults and then gradually as time's gone on, I've gone into more into children's dietetics. Do you work with both adults and children now? Now I just work with children, yeah. Amazing. Ranging from... Zero to 19, really. So mainly, yeah, all ages. (laughs) I have have so many questions. (laughs) I'll try and answer them. (laughs) But in my head, I'm like, I don't even know where to start. Um, You've got kids. Yes, I've got one little girl. Um, uh, She is six and a half. Yes. Did you find it um, less overwhelming? Because I find weaning, so my little one is 16 months and I have found weaning so difficult. And did you have any anxiety around weaning? Oh yeah, no, my child was an absolute nightmare. So um, basically um, my child was born prematurely for a start. So um, feeding from day one was pretty horrific. I don't think she had any interest in ever feeding. I don't, you know, generally. (laughs) She had terrible reflux. She basically screamed nonstop continuously for about three months I did really question what I'd done (laughs) and then eventually after three months her basically then refusing to drink any milk or do anything um yeah we ended up in hospital and she was diagnosed with a cow's milk allergy so then she was put onto um hydrolyzed formula and literally overnight she was like a different baby it was amazing which I know isn't the case for everyone that changes and has a milk allergy and they might go for different formulas but for us it made a massive massive difference so yeah, then um, we started weaning about six months. But I think because she was premature, I think there's quite a lot of pressure on parents as well. You know, there's this kind of like, you know, to start weaning and it ought to be amazing and you're going to try all these different foods. Everything's going to be great. And my child's <laughs> going to take everything. No, my child didn't take anything. No. Yeah, good. Me neither. <laughs> she basically didn't really put anything in her mouth for the first year of her life either. So in terms of weaning, and I had this great idea of like baby led weaning and all these things, but she really wasn't very interested in food at all stop. I think partly because again, and what I find with a lot of children who have been through cow's allergy and, and any kind of allergies and also really bad reflux, is that often they associate food with kind of with pain, so they don't necessarily have a positive relationship with food in the first place. Mm. So some children obviously will take to weaning really well, but for some other children, I find with a lot of parents I speak to, they don't actually take necessarily that well to weaning. And you have to remember as well that drinking and sucking, that sort of thing is quite an innate sort of thing that they they have to be able to do to survive when they're born. But eating is actually really, really complicated. 
And there's actually like 32 steps to eating. So a child really has to learn how to eat. And I think parents just assume, well, they just know how to eat because they've got to eat, so therefore they're going to do it. But actually, it's really hard and they've really got to learn. And if you've got a child that's had any problems, then it's not necessarily going to be an easy, easy journey at all. And, you know, you're going to have a lot of gagging, a lot of food refusal, and it's working through that. And I think it's coping as a parent as well. But no, I found weaning really stressful, to be honest with you. So my first question is going going to be in terms of food refusal because obviously you want to you want to help them build a good relationship with I guess what's known as quote unquote good foods and I don't really like that there's this idea of good and bad food and that's something I would like to talk to you about as well building a a healthy emotional relationship with food with kids because don't we all have a (laughs) wild ride with um, (laughs) emotional eating but In terms of, you know, when they refuse things like, so for example, with Isla, she's 16 months and I will, there'll be a carb, there'll be a protein, we are pescatarian in my family, and there'll be a vegetable. She will only eat the carb. And for a long time, I was so worried that she wasn't eating enough that I would disregard the fact that she wasn't eating her protein and her vegetables and just give her more carb. Also, because when you start weaning, you try and limit, not limit, but you try and decrease the amount of milk that you give. So in my head, I was like, if she's not eating a big enough dinner, she's going to wake up in the night, we're going to have to do a night feed. And it's going to be milk because I mean, I'm not going to plate up a three course meal, you know, at four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) So I don't know, what are your words of wisdom with with this um, situation? Well, first of all, you're in the age where we call the neophobic stage as well, which is a fear of new food. So that goes back to basically when we were hunter gatherers, really irrelevant for today but basically because your child could basically move around potentially pick up poisonous food there was a sudden like this inbuilt thing to like have fearful of food from when potentially with weaning what I find sometimes with children is they'll eat everything and then suddenly they go through that stage about 18 months to two years where they start refusing lots of things and again that can be linked to the neophobic stage also linked to the fact that they have more power so they can control things and say no. They have all the power, yes. it feels. <laughs> <laughs> but children have very little control over anything else in their lives. Like, you know, in terms of when, they, you know, all the different things that go on. But food is something they can control. And they learn quite quickly from a parent that, oh, I get a good reaction when that happens. Oh, I get any kind of reaction when I refuse food. Therefore, I'll keep doing it as well. So that that can have an influence as well. The other thing you have to remember as well is that your child grows really, really quickly in the first 12 months of their life. But... Between one and two, their growth really slows down. So they actually don't need as much food as we necessarily think they do as well. And they might not eat as much food as they did actually at one. And I think that really stresses parents out as well. Would you recommend, so in terms of, again, going back to the refusal, like how, how, how do you encourage a child to eat their vegetables? Okay, so lots of exposure. You've got to keep up the exposure. And we say like at least 30 times, but I'll be honest with you, it can take even longer than that because I think it took me like two years to get Olivia to eat a carrot. So you've got to keep up the exposure. You can't give up because if you give up, it's like with you. If I say to you, right, um, there's a new food and I want you to try it. If you've never seen it before and you don't know what it is, I was using this analogy with a spider, for example. Like if you've never tried or eaten a spider and someone just plonks it in front of you, you're probably not going to just chuck it in your mouth. Mm. You're going to go through what we call these 32 steps to eating. You're probably going to smell it. You're probably going to pick it apart. You're probably going to be like, Ooh, I don't know about this. So it's a similar thing for a child. Just because you know that that vegetable or that food is safe, nice to eat, 
they don't know that. So that's why exposure is really, really key. And I would also say at the age your child is at is messy play is brilliant with food. So if you can do some messy play with food, that becomes really fun. Away from mealtimes when they're not starving hungry is absolutely brilliant for learning, touching. Every time a child touches a food, parents think, oh, they've not eaten it. But actually by touching the food, they have had contact with the food and that on our steps to eating is a process on that steps to eating. So it still should be viewed as a positive thing when they touch or smell or lick a food as well. Oh, good. And you're right, actually. Sometimes I think, gosh, aren't we so hard with our children? You know, she'll take something, put it in her mouth. The other day it was a shrimp and she touched it. She was a bit like, um, and she put it to her tongue and then she just threw it on the floor. And I'm realizing now without wanting to beat myself up because I think it's completely normal, you know, so if other moms are listening and you've done this, <laughs> it's okay. But I told her off for putting it on the floor. And I think you're right. Maybe changing. Well done. Yeah. You've touched it. You've licked it. You don't like it. That's okay. Yeah. Maybe don't throw it on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't need to know. Yeah. But exactly. Like, that's a much better attitude to have with it as well. And also like sometimes with children, like we're going to all right, today we're just going to touch it. And then they touch it. And then you go, oh, well, actually now can you lick it? And it's like, no, no, you, you, your boundary was touching it so therefore if they do more then that's fine but if they don't then not to pressurize them because I think sometimes we pressurize children a lot as well and be like right come on one more bite one more bite but one more bite's not going to make any difference to calories or anything else all you're doing is putting more pressure on a child as well so again taking away pressure yeah I agree to be fair I'm not at all I say that I really try and be mindful that as soon as she shakes her head to say she doesn't want any more food I really try and be mindful to to stop. Um, I I sometimes offer like a little sweet thing, you know, because it's like a treat. They've done well. She's eaten well. She's set her boundary. I'm done eating because for me, I've not always had the healthiest relationship with food. And I'm so determined that I want to build that um, with Isla. I want her to have a healthy relationship with food. Is it normal? I assume it's normal, but I feel like I need the validation. <laughs> kids she used to love broccoli as like when I was mashing it up and she used to even eat it when it was like steamed and boiled like just from the holding the stem and just eat the floret and then all of a sudden this is just an example she won't touch it yeah. presumably that's normal totally to go normal in and yeah. out. my child would have eaten broccoli yeah I, I struggle with broccoli now yeah totally and completely normal again it's that whole neophobic stage they're going through that stage do you find that she eats Sometimes food off your plate as well. Because that one. it tastes better than hers. Yeah. Why is that? Because again, that's to do with the safety and that's to do with the neophobic stage. So she sees food that's on your plate as being safe because it's not poisoning mummy and mummy's still here. So it must be safe food. So that for her, always let her do that because you've got much more chance of them eating off your plate a new food than you have off their plate. That is so interesting. And I don't let her do it. And I will tell you for why. And maybe you can give me a little bit of an insight. Um, I quite like chili. So I add chili and salt. And I'm mindful of salt. I know it's not great for kids. And I'm just mindful of that. Should I suck it up and have less salt in my food so that she can eat <laughs> off my plate? Is that probably yeah, the answer you're going mean, to give me? Potentially, I would do that. I mean, you'd have to do that for every meal. And there's probably meals you have separately where you won't. But yeah, you could reduce the salt. Down. But you might find with chili, she likes chili. Some children quite like. There's nothing stopping you at her age from having spicy food and having options Ooh. of like, it doesn't have to be bland food that they have at that age you might find that she quite likes a bit of bite in her food but yes the salt you don't want to put loads of salt on if she's going to be eating off your plate no okay okay yeah i think that's why but you're so right she she'll have sometimes the same thing that i'm having or my partner's having and she'll go to my plate 
and admittedly I, I don't let her because she has her plate I've got my plate but no okay I will do that yeah, I will definitely let her re-up that. your plate you'll get more she'll probably have more and, and different things and she's and also you know you eating different food and exposing her and you eating your vegetables and all of those sort of things is really good for her as well to see you eating that food that helps mm. her to learn to eat the different foods as well yeah I just want to make a point to acknowledge as well that earlier you were like you just need to power through and do different foods and admittedly as soon as I found something that I think she likes she literally gets that for dinner every single day for a week yeah. <laughs> you see what you risk there is something called food jagging so okay. that's when you're basically you give your child the same food over and over and over again and it's like with you if you had pasta every single night for months you would be really bored of pasta and there's every chance that you then cut that food out completely from your diet so it's really important that even if you've got a child with a limited diet that you write down all the foods they do eat and you try and rotate them around so you keep rotating and I quite like doing something with people where I say like let's do mommy's favorite let's do your favorite let's do daddy's favorite you know let's do your brother's favorite or sisters or whoever you've got in the family yeah. and rotate foods around as well oh interesting um is there an age where they start to their taste buds start to settle um I don't know that's necessarily an age thing I mean different children like different things and again like the same with adults adults like there's going to be foods that they like and foods that they don't like as well mm. I mean there's bound to be a food that you really don't like and will not touch and again like everyone's got different tastes and there are people that like are super tasters and you know can't cope with bitter food at all so again mm -hmm. it's really important to expose your child to lots of different flavors lots of different herbs spices and things and find out you know what they do like and don't like as well you get some children who love olives and you know like different seafoods and everything yeah i like loves olives which is unbelievable because they're strong tasting yeah so she that's why i'm saying she might like chili as well and things like that because she might like strong flavors as well mm. so don't restrict do your child in that sense yeah, I do put like spices, but sometimes I'm a little bit nervous with chili, but, but I should try it. Um, you've worked with children with allergies, right? Yes. Okay, because I'm not 100% sure if Isla has an allergy, but she's had from a very young age quite severe eczema. And we are in and out of the GP with different antibiotics or steroid creams. And I've been getting different advice from different people, from different, you know, specialists. Some people will say it's quite likely that it's linked to a milk allergy. But then other people have recommended that because she's so young, maybe I shouldn't cut it out so soon because then it's going to build the intolerance to the milk allergy, if that makes sense. What would your thoughts on that so be? So I find um, there's some good um, good Instagram accounts you can follow that um, about eczema. But often I find with eczema, it's often not food related. Um, it can often be the problem with eczema is it's a really hard one because it can be like environmental. It can be pets it can be so many different things and sometimes I think what happens with eczema is that parents cut out so many different food groups and then they keep going and they're like well now I've cut wheat now I've cut eggs and you just become it becomes such a restrictive diet but that actually eczema is really common in children as well mm. and often it's just not food related so my advice wouldn't be to start cutting out lots of different food groups my advice would be to probably see a dermatologist or someone like that who would be able to help you more with the eczema as well I also have been a little bit resistant at wanting to take too much out mm -hmm. I mean at the beginning she's formula fed yeah and 
at the beginning, she was on a dairy formula. And then we decided to go to goat. Yeah. That potentially that, you know, might help. And then we decided, okay, let's go to a dairy-free formula, a vegan formula. Mm. And it just felt like nothing changed. And then, you know, as a mom, I'm beating myself up. Oh my gosh, I've changed so no, many I formulas. Would say, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Like, for example, goat's milk's pretty much the same as cow's milk in terms of the protein. So again, if your child has got a cow's milk allergy, going to goat's milk isn't going to make any difference. And also I would say, you know, if you go like, for example, with like Olivia, we went to a hydrolyzed formula, you know, a hydrolyzed formula, or you can go into an amino acid one, which has got no milk in it. If you went on that formula and it made absolutely no difference, then it, it's very unlikely that it's going to be a cow's milk allergy because I would expect. And also with cow's milk allergy, often, especially if it's what we call a delayed allergy, which is within two to 48 hours, I'd expect potentially other symptoms like gastro symptoms, potentially reflux, like other things as well as just the yeah. eczema. And if it made no difference, then I would say you can probably say that that was enough of a trial. We normally say try for two weeks. And if if it's making no difference, then there's no point continuing to cut out that food group. Um, okay, from yeah, diet. yeah. You sound like you've done that already. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we yeah. won that off a long the time ago. The dermatologist <laughs> is who you need to see. <laughs> um, yeah, we we stopped. Um, but I'm quite um, a holistic person yeah. and I was just getting so frustrated. Oh, I get that. that when, when you went to the DP, they just give you antibiotics. And I was like, no, there's something inside or externally. Yeah. But it's not antibiotics like no. something has caused this yeah you know something's happening and i want to find the answer i don't want to just mask it yeah but... no I, I fully get that but yeah the dermatologist will be the the best person but it's so hard with eczema because it can be so many different environmental yeah, yeah. you know like yeah. even like washing detergents different things that go on with eczema but a lot of people go down the route of it it's got to be food they've got to be allergic to everything and we sometimes see them in clinics and they've literally cut out every food group but it's made mm. no difference to the eczema and you're like well maybe that wasn't yeah. the cause then of the food yeah. and now your child's on a really limited diet so yeah no she's not i mean we're pescatarian but she still has dairy um she has oat milk yeah because that's what i have you know that's what we have at home but otherwise you know cheese yogurt things like that yeah fine. as long normal. as the oat milk's fortified then that's absolutely fine it's got calcium in it i have no idea what fortified means. <laughs> oh, sorry. it means it's got like minerals so it's got like calcium in it for example and iodine and things like that so like the oaty brands a good one they they're fortified for example yes the, it's the like whole milk in inverted commas yeah there's a gray one, one that's um a good one i can send you the link uh, at the end okay that's the equivalent um, of full fat milk basically there's a blue one that they do that that's not full fat milk that's like semi-skim milk it's very confusing i did something yes there is yes there is there's like a dark blue one yes a light blue yeah. one and then a white one yeah and then there's the gray one yes we use the dark blue one okay. which is technically the like whole milk yeah. one okay that's okay yeah yeah a gray yeah, but... one's better because it's higher calories but if she's growing well then it's okay the other one is well. if that's what you use as a family and you don't want to get into um, like buying hundreds of different ones then that's fine oh no but i'm i don't really care i can buy the other yeah one yeah just for her because much. it's just higher calories so it's equivalent of cows yeah her. i mean <laughs> she's a chonker i don't think she's she's <laughs> you're not, I'm not worried she's wasting away no 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 he's not like my little one he's tiny yeah and i'm always trying to gain weight <laughs> Oh my God, no. And every time I go to the GP, sometimes I feel like they put pressure on me because they'll tell me, oh yeah, she, she's growing. Actually, she's in the 99th percentile. And I think, oh, it's really difficult. And okay, let's talk about this now. I personally have not always had a healthy relationship with food. And when Isla's crying, sometimes I'm not sure if she's hungry, but we'll be out 
I'll give her a cracker, for example, mm. to just like calm her, occupy her. What would be your advice, your thoughts on that firstly, and then your advice on building a healthy relationship with food? And I know that that's such a big, <laughs> big topic. topic. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. But if you have any tips or thoughts on it. Um, well, first of all, I'd say that children are normally quite intuitive eaters. So they're normally quite good at knowing like when they're hungry and not hungry and sort of things. So you can work on that. Us as adults, we often override that and then the emotions and everything else comes. So again, her learning about hunger cues and that's things really, really positive as well. So you can work on that positive relationship with food. Going back to something you said before about treats and foods like that, cutting out that kind of language as well, because again, Food doesn't need to be seen as a treat. Mm -hmm. All food provides us with nourishment um, and nutrition. It doesn't need to be, you know, this food's good, this food's bad. All food has its place in our diet mm. as well. So that, and there's lots of stuff around intuitive eating if you're ever interested in that area and like a non-diet approach as well. And they talk a lot about, you know, helping people understand, you know, around eating. Yeah, food. and I guess thinking about it, when you say that it's a treat, it means that it's special. Mm -hmm. And of course, they're going to want that special food yep. more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You create that craving for that special food. If you saw my stories yesterday, you can do, like I did Olivia's plate last night and she had everything on it. We had a brownie on it, a yogurt on it, fruit and the rice and stuff all on one plate because he, and he, you sorry you put it all on the yep. plate at one go yep all in one go because i used like i use those picky plate ones and she said i want a picky plate i'm not eating any rice i'm not eating anything else i've had a hot meal at school so i just put the rice and the thing on the plate she ate a load of it and then she wanted more of it so and then i put the yogurt she bet the yogurt first she ate the mango then she ate the rice and then she ate the some of the brownie it doesn't matter in a way what order we have these like set rules that you can only eat pudding after you've eaten your main course but in a way it's all nutrition so for this this worked for last night that worked perfectly for her and it doesn't view pudding as being like on a pedestal and something that's you know a treat and you only get it if you eat this so you're very much creating more of that relationship around food that's really interesting i would never do that because my fear is that she would only eat the brownie oh, you'd you know, be surprised. For using your plate they, yeah example. they often don't they often will eat like Olivia had a whole mixture of everything that was on that plate she didn't just eat and she was very adamant she wasn't going to have any rice and she wasn't having prawns and that was it I'm not eating any of that but I just if you don't make a fuss I just put it there and then she had loads of it and she was like mommy can I have more rice now and again doing small portions as well I mean for my child she doesn't eat very much so again if I do big portions it really overwhelms her and then she'll basically eat none of it but if I do really small amounts, I can always give her extra as well. So Wow. Yeah, I guess it's um, sort of realizing now talking to you that it's also about me relearning about food. Yeah. So that I don't sort of pass on my fears and, you know, I guess like my relationship with food. Because I just remember as a kid, so clearly my parents saying or even my grandparents, you need to finish your plate. Yeah. And now I struggle, even if I'm not hungry, I will struggle to leave the table if my plate's not finished. Oh, see, yeah, no, I never finished my plate. My sister always goes on about that. No, you don't need to. I mean, that's very much an old school. And you have to remember as well that, like, it's a different time as well. So, like, for a lot of grandparents and stuff that might have lived through the war and stuff like that, food was very scarce. 
So finishing your plate was very important because I didn't necessarily know when the next meal or things were happening and there wasn't much food around. Food nowadays, there's food everywhere. There's no limit on foods and restrictions on food. We don't have, you know, you can only have a set amount of butter or sugar or those things. So a lot of those ideas, they don't really apply anymore. So there's no real reason that you have to finish your plate or you have to eat more. And it's learning about your body. And when you feel full, you know, learning that actually you're full, so therefore to stop eating and you don't need to finish your plate as well. So yeah, that's kind of a bit of a mindset, mindset thing as well. A hundred percent. I don't feel like I grew up with that mindset and I, every day, even now, sometimes struggle with that mindset and I'm so determined. I just really want Isla to have a healthy mindset around food because yeah, it's really, it's really difficult. It's yeah, it can be really just so hard to navigate and carrying that that relationship of associating, you know, food and emotions and good and bad and yeah. Yeah. And it can take time. You know, you've learned that over a lot, a lot of years. So again, it's unpicking all of that for you as well can be quite challenging as well. I would say like getting her baking and getting her involved in the kitchen as well is a really good place to start, especially if you're trying to expose her to new foods and getting her eating new foods. Because sometimes I find with Libby, if I'm like cutting up something or she's involved something she's more willing to try it as well Mm. so that touching feeling smelling food is all part of that learning process as well and building that good relationship with food and understanding about food as well there's Mm. some really good kids books out there as well around food and nutrients in the body and all of those sort of things as well that can help oh you'll have to send me any resources recommendations (laughs) and stuff and i'll put them in the description you know of the podcast and everyone can have a look i think having your breakfast mid-morning snack lunchtime afternoon snack and then an an evening meal as well is a good kind of rough rough plan to have with your child and you can have times when the kitchen's open and kitchen's closed as well so they're not just continually snacking all the time I do find like especially with Olivia if she hasn't had a snack I mean my child doesn't necessarily is that encouraging to eat a lot anyway so if if she misses a snack at like half nine ten like she would have had in school she'll suddenly get what I call really hangry and I'll suddenly look at the time and I'll be like oh god it's like half past nine ten o'clock that's why you're hangry because you haven't actually eaten anything and almost trying to keep to a rough schedule with her and being like no at 10 o'clock I make sure she's getting like a mini little meal of something Mm. like cheese and biscuits or something or like she likes apple and peanut butter I'm trying to really increase calories for her at the moment so things like that if I even if she say I'm not hungry if I give it to her she will eat some of it so for me that works quite well um so yeah I do I am quite pro a sort of rough schedule but obviously again it has to work with your family the more you can eat with her the better I know I understand it's difficult and it's not easy especially if you're working and everything else going on we don't often eat with Olivia in the week for example we'll eat later because again she gets home from school and wants to eat really early and my husband's not home and that sort of thing but I do think the more you can eat with them the better because again you're exposing her to food she's watching you eat you're setting a good example you know and all of those things so as much as you can with like breakfast first lunch and things like that it is good to eat with them if you can as well and mm-hmm. saves you having to constantly go in and out of the kitchen because you're producing one meal for both yeah, of that's, you yeah that's it I think um sometimes when you say it out loud it sounds crazy you know that it's so hard to make a meal for two people but it's actually when you're in it and you're anxious are they going to eat shall I make this yeah. I need to make mine at the same time we should eat the same oh but I don't want what she's having oh but she won't want what I'm having and you wind yourself up almost yeah but I remember there are like what we call like division responsibility as well so like as a parent you choose what your child eats to a point and they choose how much and when you know how much they have of that food as well so there is that opportunity and you you know there'll be times when they go I'm not eating that I don't like it like for example I had last night and then she ate the rice and prawns and stuff and it was fine I mean I'm still trying to expose her to courgette 
I will eventually get her to equal shares. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> what are, so obviously my little one, Isla, um, 16 months, she's not talking. Yeah. So she's not in a position to be able to say, I don't want this. I don't want that. What would your advice be if I put something in front of her and she doesn't eat it? So if it's just one meal and she doesn't eat any of it, I would always try and present something that's like what we call a safe food. So try and provide something on that plate. So if you're producing something that's totally new that she's never, ever seen before, I would try and always produce something that you know rough that she would eat or she's eaten in the past. So say, for example, like if you're pasta and she likes pasta, the carbohydrate is something that you know she will eat, then have some of that and then have the other new food as well. So then if she just eats the pasta, you've still exposed her to a new food. She's still potentially touched it, smelt it, been around it. So you're still making sure that she is eating something as well. Do I add more pasta if she doesn't eat the other no. the rest? So just no. provide what you've, you've got there. That's the portion. She'll have that. She can then have her pudding or whatever she's having. And then she's got her next eating opportunity, which is her next snack or her next meal. And again, I wouldn't do like lunch as a totally new food. Dinner as a totally new food. You know, I would you know, eat you, you know, spread your opportunities out as well. You've got a whole week to expose them to new things as well. Mm -hmm. And it can be a tiny bit of that new food as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be a large amount as well. I know a lot of parents worry about food waste and things like that as well. And of course, so like a lot of the time I can buy frozen vegetables and it can just be like one tiny bit of the frozen vegetables. Like I did this with butternut squash. Like Olivia was like adamant she wasn't like butternut squash. And she ate some of mine and she was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I love it. So now I just buy a frozen bit and I'll put a few bits out for her. So, you know, you can do the tiniest amount. It never has to be a big amount of one food. You can cook up one bean or one, you know, one piece of something. Would you say that they should have a certain amount? Also, sometimes I think I worry, oh, she hasn't had enough protein today. She hasn't had enough vegetables today. Oh, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say that she's she's living, she's fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but I think parents worry a lot about protein. But actually, at that age, you need about 14 grams protein. It's a really tiny amount. If she has, like, some milk, some cheese, and tiny bit of, you know, fish or just you she will more than get enough protein i've never seen a child in this country who's not getting enough protein so in terms of like meat and fish and stuff it's got all your essential amino acids in it um and also it's got more iron in it as well especially if you're having red meat it's got more iron in it but again vegetarian sources of protein are absolutely fine as well it's just making sure that they absorb the iron as well so making sure they have some vitamin c to help them absorb the iron in um in like your vegetarian sources most of the time when i run like because i do like dietary assessments but for, for people as well that i see them on one-to-ones or i do it separately and i'm always amazed i mean i know the program's you know an estimate and we're doing it on a food day over three days but when i work out their nutritional requirements as well they are literally often bang on it with exactly how many calories mm. they need and parents are really worried about everything and you're like they need about a thousand calories and they're eating about a thousand calories and they're like really and i'm like yeah but they're doing that just automatically because they're intuitive eaters so they know what their body needs as well mm, and also gosh. remember that you've got like how many eating opportunities you've got over a week so never look at it a day to day always try and look at it over seven days and some days you'll get good days some days you won't so it you know they will as long as they're growing nicely and they're following their centile line for their growth mm. then i tend not to overly worry and they're having you always want children between the age of six months and five to be having their multivitamins as well a c and d if they're having that they're drinking well bowels are opening and they're following the centile line and chances are they're probably meeting most of their nutritional requirements okay a c and d yes 
okay, where can we find those? Oh, yeah, so anywhere, like supermarkets, it doesn't matter, like there's Well Baby, Aberdex, any of those kind of multivitamins, yeah. Oh, but like actual, not, out, sorry, when I said where can I find them, I meant food, but you mean on top of the food? Yeah, so on top of the you food, recommend... all children between six months and five years old should be taking a general multivitamin. A and C are oh. easier to get in their diet. Vitamin D is very hard to get in the diet. It is in some of the oat milks, which, for example, yours is having, but otherwise it's very limited in food. And in terms of, obviously, in the UK, we don't get very much sunlight, especially in winter, and we don't absorb any of the vitamin D for our skin in winter. So it's really important. And this isn't just applied for children, it's applied for everyone in the country. So we all should be having 10 micrograms of vitamin D, especially throughout the winter. Oh my goodness, that is so interesting. I do, um, I'm very mindful and I really try, I mean, obviously sun cream, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but I've always been, no, go outside in the sun. Yeah. You're, not, you're not going to fry. <laughs> Yeah, vitamin D is really, really important. And they've linked it to loads of different, you know, diseases and different things as well. So very, very important to be taking it, especially during the winter. Okay. And A and C. Yes. And I guess I'm assuming I can find these in liquid form? Yep, liquid form. Yep. For your child, something like Well Baby would be a good option. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, there's loads. Just go to a supermarket or pharmacy and they'll have loads of options yeah and you can wow, put it in food is. or milk or her oat milk or anything if you have trouble oh my god <laughs> right if you could I, I mean i was gonna say if you can list like one two three four but it doesn't matter how many what are some of the things that you feel like this for example the vitamin a c and d that no one gets told what are some of the things that you feel parents really should know about nutrition with their kids oh that's quite a hard one that's quite a big area to cover um, I think, for example, one, take the pressure off yourself as well. Like, I think parents come to me and they're so stressed out. And I think some part of the issue is often their anxiety around food and what they're carrying as well. So try and make mealtimes fun. Try and make, you know, them enjoyable experience. Try and make it so that children learn about food. Get them baking, cooking, get them involved in the kitchen as well. So they start to learn about food as well. I think that's really, really important. The more children can learn about food, the more they're, you know, they're more likely to want to be involved and eat different food and try different things as well. I think the issue, though, sometimes is that, I mean, I work part time and some parents, some mums work full time and it, you don't have time. It feels like, it, I think it feels overwhelming because it is a big thing, nutrition with kids, but sometimes it feels like you don't even have time to be playful with your children. What are some like really easy and without wanting to sound like the world's worst mum, quick, um, fun things that you might be able to do with your child if you don't feel like you have, you know, an hour to bake? Yeah. So I would say, um, again, just make meal times fun. Don't be like, you know, sit together as a family, even if it's just on the weekend. I mean, I work pretty much full time as well. So work, you know, do it on the weekend, sit down. And even if it's like two meals on the weekend where you all sit down together and you have family style meals, you know, maybe you play some music. You can have things like theme nights and, you know, just make food a bit more fun. Than, and it doesn't need to be every single meal, every single night, just occasionally sit down as a family and have have that meal like if you were eating out somewhere you know it would be more relaxed so just try and have some 
And I would say, like, with the baking and stuff, again, or, like, getting them involved in food, it doesn't need to be. It can be cutting up, you know, like a bit of a carrot or chucking some food in in the food you're making. It doesn't need to be a big thing. It can be a five-minute thing that they get involved in the food or even them serving you your food. That's still touching, interacting and being around food as well. Yeah, it doesn't need to be a big, massive four-hour baking. We're on the bake-off because I can't bake like that. So <laughs> when I bake with Olivia, it's normally like energy bites or something really basic that takes us all of about 10 minutes to do. Fun I don't out. do full-on hour-long baking sessions. So it doesn't need to be complicated or anything. Oh, I think, um, and hopefully other mums or parents will relate to this. I'm a, quite an all-or-nothing person. It's like all of a sudden, if in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make food fun. I need to make it so fun <laughs> every single day. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to go to that extreme. It doesn't need to be fun every night. And even just like not pressurize. So don't, you know, don't sit there over them while they're eating on their own and just be like, I want you to eat more. One more bite. Go on, have a bit more. Even <laughs> things like that are just awful. They don't help your child to eat. So even if you can just stop that for like the meals... <laughs> that would make a big difference to your child and you don't see anything and you pick up a plate and move on, that would make a big difference to their eating as well. Yes. Okay, I have something to admit. I find that sometimes she eats better if she's in front of the TV because she doesn't pay attention to what's on her plate. So sometimes I put her in front of Dougie because I'm certain that, you know, whatever's on her plate, she will eat it. Is that, I mean, it's not ideal. I do know that. But is there a little bit of genius in the madness because then she is still getting, you know, food yeah. that she might not normally get? I, I get it. Yeah, no. And I, I mean, I do this with Olivia as well. She'll often eat in front of the screens. But I get, like, why people do that and it's fully thing. But in terms of helping them learn about intuitive eating and learning about when they're full and things like that, it's not great because... What you do often when you sit in front of a TV, is, and you'll probably find this yourself, if you have like popcorn, you go to a cinema, you mindlessly eat. So you're not actually understanding what your body needs and when they're full and when they're hungry. So yeah, it can work great sometimes, especially with extremely fussy eaters and things like that, can work to try and get, you know, more, more food in. But I wouldn't say you want it at every single meal. And no, I get that, yeah. you know, we're all human and you yeah. no one's perfect and you can't do everything <laughs> but if you can some meals have it that you don't have that screen to help them learn about how they're feeling around food as well and just you know learning about what they're eating as well so it's not just so mindless as well and it works well for adults as well because again if you're watching a film you'll stuff your face and think how much more you would necessarily eat if you were actually sitting at a table mm. with that food you wouldn't eat anywhere near so that's that's sort of the reason behind it anyway oh, no yes and it's funny because a lot of the things that you've said we know like we do know but we often need to just hear it again to really kind of put it into practice yeah and it's not easy I mean you've got think how many times you have to feed your child in a day it's not like you only mm. feed your child once in you know a month you've got to feed them you know six times a day so mm -hmm. you can understand why it becomes stressful and parents get worried and anxious about mm -hmm. their child's food as well because it is a lot you know it's something you're doing all the time as well and it's relentless as well so mm -hmm. you know I think give yourself a break as well and I always said put something online this week about you know your child's personality isn't just based on what they eat as well you know there are other things to your child as well so I think sometimes it's just taking that pressure away from yourself. Uh, we spoke about Isla for example on her eczema but what um I know I'm in a very lucky position Isla's never had reflux and things like that colic she's you know been absolutely fine but for perhaps moms who do have colicky babies is there anything if I'm completely honest I don't really know you know that area because Isla's not experienced it 
but I've heard that it's <laughs> yeah my it can be like a, <laughs> yeah I've heard that it can be a little bit stressful is there anything that uh, parents might be able to to do you know with nutrition to help them if they're not eating because of colic or reflux well normally that happens when they're really little like colic mm-hmm. and things like that but again reflux they normally well often they'll grow out of it because they get their core gets stronger as well um, so they tend to, the reflex tends to get better as they get older. Sometimes it's about speaking to a health professional and finding out if there's anything else going on as well. Like, for example, Olivia had really bad reflux and it was actually a cow's allergy. So I'm not saying that every child that has reflux has a cow's allergy or an allergy. But I think if your child has got really bad reflux, it's definitely worth speaking to your health visitor um, or health professional to see what might be going on. Because I know there's lots of feeding experts out there as well who look at like tongue tie and like, feeding positions and all of those things as well that can help as well mm-hmm. but yeah definitely speak to your health professional as well because there might mm-hmm. be an underlying cause to what's why your child's actually having reflux yeah for parents that are just starting the weaning journey what sort of tips would you give them because I felt like I honestly went in blind what might be some helpful tips that they might be able to do or use to kind of dive start diving into that first of all I'd say make sure your child's ready so they're actually showing signs so that's kind of why we advise around six months because they're sort of sitting unaided I mean obviously they won't be perfect but they're kind of got enough core stability normally they're watching you and they're putting things in their mouths and you're kind of seeing those sort of signs that they're ready to start weaning so look out for those signs some of the extreme allergies they do recommend implementing weaning earlier but again for most children we normally advise around about six months Mm -hmm. and it's not like it's six months on the dot you know they're six months old today we start you know like again watch out for the signs some children might be quite big and you know five and a half months or around that age is fine as well so watch for the signs that your child is ready to start weaning as well those are the the key things and I would say go at your child's pace as well some children take to weaning like they're just away and they're eating. I had like friends, my NCT group, who just, they're talking about anything and everything and they love the process. Whereas like for Olivia, she absolutely hated it. She had no interest in eating. I, you know, a very reluctant weaner. And I did all the things, you know, starting with the vegetables, you know, and all of those things. And that there's links with that. It's meant to be to help with the fussy eating and stuff. I wouldn't say that that's really helped us. But yeah, I mean, it's good to start with some vegetables and things like that for the first week or so. But then you can start moving through. We want to get through all the allergens as well. So you've got like your six to 12 months, you want to get through your key allergens of your milk, your soya, your eggs, and doing all of those allergens as well. Because there's lots of evidence now that shows that if you delay introducing allergies past 12 months, there's a higher risk of allergies. That's another great thing. Um, soya. I'm trying to think if Isla's had soya. What what would I find soya in? Oh, it's in loads of things. Like even some breads now have soya flour in them as well. So I'd be surprised if you've got 16 months without avoiding okay. any kind of any kind of soya at all. I mean, obviously you've got your usual yogurts and things like that as well, and tofu and things like that. Got soya. But again, I'd be surprised if by 16 months okay. you probably okay. haven't found okay. soya is in a lot of food nowadays. Okay. But if so, you're worried, yeah. you can always try like a soy yogurt or something like that and just check. I think I will. Yeah, that she's okay. So milk, eggs and soya are the main allergens. And yeah, but there's also, you know, you've got your fish as well. So you want to do fish mm-hmm. and shellfish as well. 
Celery is another one. There's like 11 as well. I remember all these off the top of my head. Sesame is another one. Obviously nuts as well, like your tree nuts yeah. and your peanuts as well. Those What's are, a tree nut? So like, um, like almonds and things like that as well. Yeah, other nuts, basically pistachio. You know, all of those okay. nut buttery type things you can, you can try oh, as yeah. well. Yeah. Oh, she loves almond butter. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, anything like that then, yeah. Those, yeah. those are your, your, your sort of, and you want to work through those in the first sort of 12 months. And I always say, do it when your child's well do it in the morning you know so you can monitor any symptoms as well because i think that causes a lot of anxiety for parents is doing the allergies and i see a lot of parents in clinic who haven't actually introduced a lot of the allergies to their child allergens to the children at all and they've like no we've never done nuts we were too scared and you're like you know Mm. it's important to try and try and do do those things which i know can be scary for some parents okay i had one more question oh yes What's your advice on milk? Obviously, they still need milk, but then the NHS, so we had our 12-month, you know, like assessment with the NHS, and they said that at 12 months, they're encouraging me basically to stop her milk, but I don't want to stop the milk. No, that's fine. So basically, we just advise that you don't have like more than three to 400 mils a day, basically. Um, How So one ounce is 30 mils, if that helps you. Yes, it does. She has... She has 12 ounces a day. So that would be, oh, give me two seconds to work that out for you. <laughs> so 360, so that's fine. You bang on. <laughs> I told you, intuitive, you just know. Yeah, no, that's fine. You just don't want her to have, sometimes I see children, especially in clinics, like with, particularly with sometimes with fussy eating, and they're having like a litre of milk. And Ooh. they're like, my child doesn't really eat, eat anything. And then I do an analysis and I'm like, you, you do realise they're having a litre of milk a day. And their Ooh. stomach is tiny at that age. So if you're giving them that much milk with that many calories in, they don't need that many calories. So you're just filling them up. So it's just being mindful. And that's why they're giving you that advice because they want to be in a situation where a lot of parents will still be like, well, I'm doing the milk feed in the morning, lunchtime, afternoon, dinner, through the night. And it's just, mm. they're, then they're like, but they don't eat anything. And then what you end up doing as well is that you'll often see children who have a lot of milk like that, who end up constipated. And then because they're constipated, they then don't eat anymore because they're constipated in the same way that if you're constipated, it's really uncomfortable. You don't feel like eating. And they end up iron deficient as well, which again can be really common. So with the iron deficiency, that can make the eating worse as well. It can actually make them even more reluctant to have food as well. So again, it's that's partly why they give that advice as well. Okay, yes. What's your opinion on night feeds? So obviously, I'm just speaking from my point of view. I've And to confirm, I've only got one. <laughs> if it wasn't obvious <laughs> that I'm a first-time mom. That's right. <laughs> um, but so we, not every night, but so she has her milk in the evening. Yeah because to make sure she eats in the day yeah. and for a long time I have people are like oh but milk in the morning it's like with breakfast it's nice and I thought she doesn't need it she drinks water fine yeah I'm not going to encourage more milk yeah okay right so now the bottle is just before bed yeah you know to sort of <laughs> conquer out <Yeah>. basically <laughs> fair enough <laughs> yeah we'll do that um <laughs> but then sometimes she wakes up in the night and I have been recommended by my osteopath actually I like go see an osteopath and I was recommended to power through for like a week or so and give her water in the night because she might be getting into the routine of now she wakes up because she knows that she might get milk and it you know might fill her up for the next day etc etc what's your thoughts on I that I think it depends on the um how much you're giving her so I'd say if you're giving a massive another 12 ounces or something then yeah you're going to fill her up and she's probably not going to want for breakfast if it's a tiny amount I think 
you know, if it's a little amount, then I don't think it's going to make a massive difference. But again, ideally water. But again, if it's a small amount of milk and you're weaning her down, then I think, again, that that's okay as well. I think it's all very well, you know, like an osteopath giving it. But when you're the mum who's sleep deprived and it's the middle of the night, you know, you have to be realistic as well. And you scream, child's screaming the place down. You also want sleep as well. So that's okay. You just don't want to be giving her sort of massive bottles, I would say, at that time. Um, so she has... Yeah, eight fluid ounces when she wakes up in the night. And admittedly, it's just because, like, it's 3 a.m. And yeah. I know that she's going to go back to sleep quicker. And I feel bad. So just try reducing the amount down. So do, like, seven ounces, six ounces, five ounces, and do it that way. So just slowly transition it down. Because you'll probably find that she'll fall back to sleep on, you know, six, five, four, you know, as time goes on as well. Mm. So it doesn't necessarily have to be... A really a really big bottle but again it also depends how close it is to breakfast time as well and whether you find that she's not then eating any breakfast because like for my child she wouldn't eat but my own child breakfast is a nightmare still now but you know if she was to have a load of milk she also then wouldn't eat any breakfast either so again it's it's working with your child as well and how your child is but yeah i would say just start reducing the amount down bit by bit mm -hmm. take it slow maybe because... like down one fluid ounce yeah yeah you could week. just do a fluid ounce yeah over the week okay. and then yeah just see how you how you get on with that and if that works for you and if it doesn't work for you maybe you go back back up and you take it a little bit slower mm, okay yeah no good okay is is there anything else that you would like to say or add no i don't think so no it's been lovely chatting to you you work one-to-one -one? yes i do yeah i do private consultations yeah um and where can people find you if they would like to know more about so, your services i'm on instagram at dietitian dot with a difference and i also have a website with dietitian with a difference dot co dot uk as well so i'll send you those links yeah um i will definitely put them in the description of the podcast but i have lots of free guides as well for any parents that are struggling with fussy eating or milk allergies or anything else so there's lots of free guides as well if anyone just wants some help and advice thank you so so much for coming on the podcast it's been so so great and really interesting and i think it's crazy how much actually what i've really gained is just i need to chill yeah just chill <laughs> <laughs> you find that actually that's what a lot of parents need to do yeah mm. definitely yeah, yeah yeah just have some fun with it um okay thank you so much thank you so much for having me okay. thanks guys thanks, thanks for listening bye, bye.